0: You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network. Featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California. Presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Portraits. Featuring intimate, in-depth interviews with Black Hollywood stars and influencers. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live this week, Dario Kristen. I'm
1: your host, Dario Kristen, and here to join me are...
2: Elia Cruz. Courtney Stewart.
3: DJ Jesse Janity.
1: And we also have a very special guest in the house today, actor, model, and fashion designer, Boris Kojo. Say what's up to your family. What's up? How
3: are you guys doing?
1: Hello. So, Boris, <laughs> I want to start by saying, danke das si hier.
4: Zin. <laughs>
5: zin. <laughs> zin. Zin.
1: zin.
4: Yeah. zin. Danke That's das a- Sie hier, sind.
1: All right, see, I'm, I was almost there.
4: Yeah, freut mich, dass ich hier bin. Danke, dass ihr mich eingeladen habt. Oh, wow. Yeah, you got
5: me. Translation? <laughs> <laughs> hagen does. <laughs>
4: hagen does is from Brooklyn, my
3: man. Nothing to do with Germany. Oh, yeah. That's about as German as I can get. <laughs> well,
1: we're excited to have you today, and uh, we definitely um, have a lot of questions for you this evening, or this afternoon. Uh, first off, I know you just celebrated your birthday, which yes. is a pretty big milestone.
4: Huge gigantic the big 30 the big 30 yeah. Yeah. yeah i, I so can't believe it
5: <laughs> <laughs>
4: wow it happened so fast Rewind. and and what exactly did you
1: do on your birthday
4: you know i was working actually i was on a set of uh, real husbands and um they sang for me they didn't give me a cake which what? which disappointed me really? greatly cake? yeah and then uh, my wife was on the set as well uh doing a cameo and then after she took me out to dinner with a couple friends and uh, we went to um first soho House and then we went to the Zen Lounge nice. in Studio City and Nordwell.
5: Uh, yeah.
4: Very nice. Partied the night away for uh, 40 minutes. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> <40 minutes.
5: laughs>
1: well, now everybody has you know bu- a bucket list, right? So. With you, with you coming to this milestone age, have you fulfilled most of the things on your bucket list? And if not, what else do you want to accomplish wow. in the next
4: two years? You know, I, I try to take care of my bucket list every single day of my life because um, you never know how long you're blessed to be here. So I, I try to live every moment to the fullest. Um, I don't really have a, a technical bucket list. I, I usually, it, it, what happens is I like, I, I have a thought, a dream, and then I pursue it and I do it. Um, It switches up a little bit when you have kids because their priorities shift a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can't jump out of plans anymore and stuff like that. Um, But um, I've lived, so far, I've lived a very uh, fulfilling, exciting, great life. Uh, I mean, when when I look back from where I came from, from Germany, a little town with like 15,000 people and uh, not being able to speak English, and I had no aspirations of even coming over here when I was a child. you know, being an actor or a model, whatever, that was never really in my in my mind. Um, so to be here now, sitting on this couch, <laughs> this wonderful in couch, Black Hollywood Live, <laughs> in, a, in a creepy little house that looks like it was from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> 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 when I walked up, <laughs> I almost took off running. Oh no! So to be here with you guys is just it's oh, no. it's amazing. So every day I have to sort of pinch myself just to, to to realize, wow, this is really my life. So I'm I'm very blessed.
1: Well, that's a great thing. Lotion up. Now one of your lotion fans? up?
6: Oh, well, he is said silence, silence of, a lamb, of the lamb.
4: So. Oh, that's right. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, wait <laughs> like whoa. Where did I was like, hold on a second. I was
1: like, this segment is turning um, into something else right now.
4: Jessica, <laughs> the what, interview. How?
6: <laughs> what are we supposed to do? <laughs> exactly. Didn't he always throw that in the bucket, like lotion on? You know.
4: Baby oil. The wait, lotion wait,
6: wait. in the bucket. The lotion in the bucket. That's right. You're right. Where Absolutely.
4: Good. Now we had a fan tweet
1: it in because your name is 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 you know your full name is pretty long. Yes. They, They would like for you to actually say it in your native accent. My native
4: accent, yes. my native, uh, ger- like you know, German, <laughs> like a <Yeah. your> German <laughs> accent, <Yes>. German accent. <laughs> my German d- accent in German, you—it's—it yes. yes. it's really sounds the same thing, uh, same same way. Boris Frederick Cecil Tenate Fuerte cojo?
6: Nothing like the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. it yeah. 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 not yeah. sound it's like it would sound if we said, yeah.
6: No, I <laughs> couldn't say that. <laughs> That's yeah.
4: my name. Yeah. Well, my dad is from Ghana, West yeah. Africa, yeah. and my mom is German. So um, some of the names, uh, like Tenate, means firstborn son, for instance. And um, so that's from my father's side. Frederick was my, um, my uncle, uh, who passed recently. That's and, that's right. and Cecil was my grandfather. Mm. So there's a whole bunch of people sort of incorporating my name, uh, people uh, whose shoulders I stand on and represent. Yes. By the yeah. family man. So, so, uh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: now, is there a family
4: nickname that they give you or gave you? Oh, um, well, my mother usually, when I was a child, she used to call me Boisle. Boris? Borsel, Borsel. Okay. Like little Boris? Little Boris. Um now people call me B, BK, Kojo, Bo. BK. All kinds of different yeah, um, cool. An assortment okay. of names. Daddy. Oh. <laughs> the best yeah. one of
1: all. Yeah. Now you mentioned growing up in Germany. Can you kind of tell us about your history as growing up even as a, a biracial child in, in Germany? Can you give mm-hmm. us a little bit of that path of what Well, it's, it's
4: like? you know, it's it's uh it's very different in terms of culture and mentality. Uh uh it's 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 um It's a great place to grow up as a child. Uh, Europe in general is a great place to to grow up because all the countries are so close together, Mm -hmm. so you're exposed to a lot of different cultures and languages at an early age, um, which definitely helped me um, as I looked into, you know, my future. Um, I did a lot of sports growing up. Um, Tennis was my big thing. That was my life. I played soccer. I played basketball. And, um, you know, my my parents really sort of uh, raised us very open-minded. you know, in terms of uh, different cultures, mentalities, uh, they exposed us to everything from music to arts to sports. And so in terms of childhood, it was really a, an amazing time. Obviously, there were, you know, obstacles, challenges like anybody else has. Um, you know, I was the only black child on my street. I was the only black child in my town. Mm-hmm. I was the only black child <laughs> in my area in of state. Area. So it was just yeah. me and my brother. Um which we, you know, which was difficult at times because kids can be cruel. So yeah. uh, mm-hmm. they would want to touch my hair, yeah. when <laughs> I, back when I used to have hair, <laughs> and um, and uh, call me names and you know all kinds of stuff. But uh, you know, it strengthened my character. Yeah. And my mother always taught us, look, you guys are perfect the way you are, and uh, if anybody tells you otherwise, they're ignorant. So I sort of grew up with that sort of <laughs> extreme sense of uh, 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 almost like uh, necessary confidence, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So we would uh, make it through the day or through the week. But despite that, you know, it was a really great time. Um, it, it was a great time in Germany too. Uh, you know, in 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 '89, uh, the walls came down, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and that changed a whole lot uh not just Germany but Europe as a whole, the world actually mm-hmm. so to be part of that and and sort of um experience that sort of new energy and and uh, you know the new young generation coming to power and and expressing what they really needed and wanted out of life and and the borders coming down and and people just embracing each other that was a that was a really great experience to have um mm-hmm. um' growing up
5: and you
6: Let's oh, just say as like a child like your memories obviously are you know different the way you experience things so you don't have a full understanding of what's really going on mm-hmm. and I'm wondering like how did that feel like when you knew that that was happening and you were aware
4: well you know what, we were we were completely aware at the time um, because it was a huge deal obviously. Uh, with the Perestroika and, and what yeah. Gorbachev did, and, and so we followed that um, continuously. Um, so once it finally happened, we actually saw the the wall come down, and people sort of streaming, uh, uh, you know, into the West. It was just, it was overwhelming. But, you know, you're right. Uh, as I grow older, uh, the older you get, the more do you really realize what that meant and how historic that moment really was. And uh, it's the same with other sort of. Um, monumental uh, experiences you have in life, like 9/11, for instance, and, and other things that happened. Uh, at the time, you probably don't really grasp the 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 the, the you know the size of the of mm-hmm. the of the occurrence and what yeah. it really means until later. I took my kids to uh, inauguration uh, two months ago. And you know they're six and eight.
1: Did they Did they really understand the concept of what was? Well, no, of, of, of course not.
4: Yeah. You know they knew obviously they know the president yeah. and they know what this was a, what that was about. And they were on the mall and they saw him. And um, but I wanted them there just because I know that in ten years from now and twenty years from now they will understand and they <laughs> will appreciate and cherish that moment uh, as they look at those pictures and stuff. Um, yeah. Because you know we we we're blessed with certain moments in life and we're blessed with certain. Uh, uh, experiences in life and 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 I want to make sure that they uh, understand the value of those monumental uh, 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 occurrences um, because it, it touched our our lives in yeah. general and uh, especially obviously our president um, so uh yeah i was aware I was aware and um, it was it was a great time it it brought a lot of problems uh, with it because uh, as as east and west were Combined, there was a lot of unemployment and yeah. bad housing, and so that sort of um, ignited a fire of uh sort of right wing movements where a lot of uh you know uh, skinheads started but causing ruckus and so blaming. personal
6: feelings though inside of you was it like fear or like rejoicing?
4: Oh, no, it was all it was all celebration. Oh, it okay, was, at the time it was um, it was great because we all thought this country should be whole, you know. Oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. So obviously it was it was a lot of it was a lot of enthusiasm, um, but you know I was also aware of of the things that were going on afterwards, uh, and because I was affected because a lot of these skinheads they they wanted to get rid of some of the anger and they mm-hmm. would blame you know people that looked different, and uh, <laughs> so I was one of them. Um, so it brought a bunch of fights and <laughs> and craziness with it, but. Um, in the grand scope of things, that was nothing compared to uh, the just the, the beauty and the and the, and the great experiences that I had growing up there.
1: And your grandmother was also a, a Holocaust survivor, correct?
4: Well, um, that's been overstated a little bit. She she was she was not of pure Aryan descent. Okay. Uh, so back then, in the in the 30s and 40s, uh, either you were pure Aryan or you weren't. Mm-hmm. And when you weren't, then you you'd be likely to be persecuted and 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 uh, and, and whatnot. So she was of uh, of um, non-Aryan descent. Uh, her mother was Jewish, so bloodline-wise, she was Jewish. And uh, she happened to fall in love with my grandfather, who was in the party. Who was a soldier. And so those two worlds sort of collided; uh, they had to hide her identity. Um, uh, he went off to war. she was pregnant at the time when he came back, he came back with his arms blown off from a oh hand man. grenade and in, in when he was in Stalingrad and um, So she basically raised three kids and this um, handicapped uh, husband mm-hmm. uh, and after after the world, after the second World War when the Allied forces came in and divided up the country. Uh, the Americans, the English, and the uh, the Russians, and the French, um, the Germans were given 20 bucks, basically, to start over. <laughs> Everything was taken from them. Wow. So it was a very, very, very tough time for my grandmother and, and, and my mom, and my mom's family. Um, and she keeps, you know, she's 95 now, uh, my grandmother. And she, in the last couple of years, I've been filming her and, asking her questions about the history and, and her life and growing up. And, and it's it's unbelievable uh, what some people have gone through in their lives. And, and what did it,
6: she do for work? I mean, I mean, if, at that time, yeah. women couldn't really work as freely as they can now and then to have to have a, you know, mm-hmm. um, can- well, have a husband. And well,
4: uh, good question. She was, I mean, she was an educated woman. She had worked as a pharmacist. Um, before the war, but after the war, everything was in shambles. I mean, the house that we that I grew up in, when they first bought that house, uh, the roof was missing, hmm. and uh, I don't know what it's called. The the debris from the bomb uh, craters uh, was was a story high, up to the first windows of the house. So, and she she by herself with her little son, who was four at the time, uh, one by one got rid of all the debris around the house. So she built that house back up by herself. And you, at the time, there were no jobs. So you were just recovering from the war. So yeah. you had to trade stuff. Um, you know, she, she told me one story, which was amazing, where she was uh, she heard through the grapevine that there was flour somewhere on a farm four hours north of where they lived. So she got on the train with her cousin. And it was in the winter, and they rode on, on top of the train because yeah. there was it was so packed four hours north, walked miles to that farm where allegedly there was, there was flour to have, traded in for that flour, filled up her whole suitcase, came back, and when she got to our city, there was, there was a, um, an, an American, um, what is it called, soldiers uh, guarding the, 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 the train station, and they asked her what was in the suitcase, and she said it was just flour for my kids so I could bake some bread and stuff, and they took the thing and mm.
5: dumped it in the wow. snow.
4: So it was a really, really, really hard time. Um, you know, my mother was raised on on water and potatoes. That's what she had. That's what they had to eat. So I'm I'm just saying that because because it helps me put things in perspective. Right. You know, yeah, because absolutely. we all go through stuff in life, and, and yeah. we certainly did with our daughter and stuff. But uh, but I always sort of I always remember those stories, and I always remember that look. Um, nothing compares to the hardship that some of our families had to go through back then, and that sort of um, keeps me smiling.
3: (laughs) On (laughs) top of that, uh, your father was, uh, he left at the age of six. What was it like to uh, identify yourself as a biracial kid without your father being there?
4: It was tough. It's a good question. It was tough because, you know, the only person I I could relate to in that matter was my dad. And when he left, um, you know, my mother's white. And uh, she had to endure a lot of racism, uh, raising two little black children on her own. You know. Um,
3: was there any m- older mentor that you had that kind of? Not
4: really. There weren't. A, um, I had. I had older. Yeah, older mentors. But they weren't uh, necessarily black, mm-hmm. but they they definitely formed my character in other ways. Um, but I remember that I, I when I was a child, I uh, my father actually he bought me the uh, Michael Jackson. Um, <laughs> Uh, the single, the beat it mm-hmm. single, wow, okay. and that was sort of my first sort of experience with that, uh, you know, that culture and you know, and and, uh, and I gravitated towards that, and and you know, there was always music in our house, everything from Stevie Wonder to the Beatles to to uh, Bob Marley. I mean, I really grew up with a very well-rounded <laughs> sort of uh, uh, you know musical you know influence, and um, but at an early age, that's what I gravitated towards because it sort of gave me uh, an identity beyond what I knew in my immediate environment. And what got so you I knew
1: to tennis from there? Is that where it kind well, of... Well,
4: uh, my father introduced me to tennis. He was a very good tennis player. My, my uncle played for the Davis Cup team in Ghana. So I was um, sort of brought into that tennis sort of dynasty, I guess. <laughs> and uh, I started when I was like three years old. Yeah. And my earliest memories of tennis weren't as pleasant because my father was very... Um, he was very uh, uh, ambitious for me. And uh, to push your child into a sport is not the best way of going about it. <coughs> Weirdly enough, after he left, I, I continued playing. I started really loving it. I became really, really good at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was sort of my, I don't know if it was my escape or whatnot, but it was something that I really loved. And uh, that's, that's, tennis really opened the doors for me to do all the other things that I'm doing now.
1: So you were you you started at three, you kind of went through high school playing, and then of mm-hmm. course you went to University of Virginia Commonwealth University. How yeah. did how did you get there? Tell us about that path. Um,
4: it was great. Well, I was playing at home. I was playing, I, I guess you could say, semi pro at home. Uh, I was playing on a junior tour, and I was playing on the on the on the on the men's tour. After that, um, all the best juniors and tennis had were working out in the same uh, academy with the same coach. It was Boris Becker. I was Steffi Graf and Anke Huber, myself, and a bunch of really good tennis players. And um, so, um, you know, universities for me they scout overseas, yeah. and I was one of the players that they that they scouted. And uh, so I went to VCU. They had a Swedish coach who sort of made the transition for me easier, you know, the whole cultural thing. <laughs> and, and it was a pretty it was a pretty crazy cultural shock when I first came here. You know, I couldn't speak English that well. Yeah. So and uh, he made it easier for me. He he got a whole bunch of other international players on the team, Swedes and Germans and French guys and <laughs> so we were sort of like the the, the foreign the foreigners on campus, which <laughs> is kind of funny. Uh, actually the NCAA changed the rules because of us, because of our team because we kept cursing in foreign languages no <laughs> one could understand. So <laughs> <laughs> but they kind of they kind of understood that it was probably offensive, so they they uh, incorporated in the rule book that you couldn't uh, curse in a foreign language and that was uh that was because of us but it was the best time you know college was incredible even though uh, i was homesick at first when i went home for christmas that first year i couldn't wait to get back yeah. and um i knew that i was going to stay there get my degree and 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 enjoy i really really enjoyed that experience you, uh,
1: you had a four you had a four year uh, letterman with 75 careers um wins so you you had a pretty nice time at the the university
4: it was great I mean, I really had the best time. We traveled a lot, played tennis. I, I, uh, I took classes serious, seriously. Well, con- con- considering what was going on in college, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, it was great. You know, uh, you know, college is more than just education. College gives you college gives you a social education. You know, it, it teaches you how to how to become an adult. It teaches you how to communicate, how to socialize, how to relate to people. Yeah. Uh, and for me, uh, it added that you know, whole, the whole American experience, you know, and the whole African-American experience, which I had no idea about before I came here, which was huge, you know, because, uh, you know, I've seen stuff on TV, but, you know, I had no idea how to relate um, to that culture. I'm not African-American. I'm African-German. So yeah. that's a very, that's a big difference. Uh, and it was fun. You know, a lot of crazy stuff happened to me, things that, got lost in translation and, you know, dealing with the opposite sex and getting that well, kind like, of tension. Like what? what
1: was something crazy? Just, we, some just half the time
4: I had no idea what these girls were saying. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, just, I just always agreed to everything and said yes and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I sort of, you know, got around. Were you
6: teased at, at all first. for not like...
4: Oh, yeah, they had a great time with me. because they? Because they, they could say anything. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I would just always smile and say, thank you. That's like so you, so you had
1: the intentions on being a professional tennis player, and then you had a back injury. Mm-hmm. What happened, actually? Walk us through what happened.
4: Um, well, it wasn't one sort of isolated incident. It slowly crept up on me. Um, you know, I've been playing all my life, and the pounding that the body takes, especially when I was still growing, was tremendous. And uh, uh, genetically, I was predisposed to having stenosis, which is when the spinal canal is really, really tight. Yeah. And uh, it kept pinching my sciatic nerve, and that's just excruciating pain that uh, that wouldn't let up. And so after a while, I was like, "Look, this is not going to go anywhere." Um, I did everything from yoga to to drugs to to <laughs> uh, I mean, every homeopathic uh, method available at the time, and it just wouldn't help. You know, I would play one match, and I would literally just you know, couldn't get up the next morning. So I knew that wasn't going to happen for me.
3: And as far as it causing a depression in your life, I think that a lot of people go through the depression and they don't voice it. So no one thinks it's a real, it's something real that happens to people. Mm-hmm. How did you overcome, I mean, tennis was everything to you. How did you overcome moving forward? With
4: I think college life helped me. I think, um... You know, and you're right. It took me a while to get over it because that was my life. I knew that I was going to do that for for the rest of my life. And um, to sort of feel that it was taken away from me was a was a big blow. Uh, but then my mother helped me. You know, she pushed me out there and said, look, go over there. Go to the States and, and see what's out there. You know, there's more to life than just tennis. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And, and and I realized that there's a lot of interests that I, that I had that I hadn't um, really explored. What was the know? first thing
3: that kind of just you know cuz going through depression you 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 need that spark that fire what was the first thing that kind of just
4: i think just out? to leave my immediate environment and get away from home and and those yeah. four walls and everything that reminded me of that mm-hmm. uh that was that was help um uh my relationship with my brother is great you know he's like my twin and we're really close so he was always very uplifting and supporting um uh and then being in a new environment in the states you know you forget about it you know and and uh um there was a lot of things that interested me, you know, and I was in class, you know, learning about stuff that that interested me, and business came <laughs> came relatively easily to me. Uh, so I sort of immersed myself in that uh, a, a little bit, uh, got a degree in marketing, and um, and just you know when you when you 18, 19, and you open your eyes beyond mm. what you know, there's a lot out there, a lot of yeah. exciting stuff. So yeah. I really didn't have to go far to 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 see and and experience things that interested me, you know. Um, traveling alone is a great experience, and, and I always tell the college students that I speak to, I said, look, you need to, you need to travel. Travel is the best education you'll mm-hmm. ever get in life.
1: So you travel, so actually that's a great um, topic, you traveled to New York, and that's where you initially got discovered as a model. So I read that you had turned down the agency initially and went back to school. What made you call them back and say, you know, listen, it was with the Ford agency, what made you turn back and say, you know what, I, w- I want to take this chance. I want to I want to try this out.
4: You know, I, I was done with school. I had gotten my degree, and uh, I was ready to see what's out there for me, you know. And I thought, you know, being in New York is, isn't half bad. <laughs> <I think laughs> and, uh, and, you know, right out of college, it probably wouldn't be a bad place to be or to start my life, you know. And, uh, and there was an agency out there that was willing to give me a chance and and. Uh, and I was I was hoping to maybe uh, earn a living and 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 be able to travel the world because I knew that uh, I didn't know a lot about modeling but I knew that uh, models travel the world so I was like hey <laughs> if I can travel the world and not have to pay for it that alone is worth it me giving this a shot um, so you know I I ended up in New York and everything took off from there I was pretty I was pretty lucky to. Uh, to meet the people I met and yeah. to, to get to work with the people I worked with right, right off the bat, because usually that doesn't happen. And um, it gave me a great opportunity to see the world, you know, meet a lot of interesting people, and um, travel and, and do a lot of research on women. <laughs> yeah.
5: and,
4: uh, I am sure there were a lot of subjects. <laughs> so, so victims. you know, all the stuff. All this stuff. No, no victims. <laughs> all the stuff. All the stuff that you should do in your 20s, you know. That's what I did. And how to did your, the fullest.
1: How'd your family react to it? I mean, you had, you know, obviously grew up in Germany. You then go to the university. Mm-hmm. You go to New York and. You are supposed to be playing tennis and then you're supposed to be a marketing major and you're now a model and you're in the game and you're doing big things. How does your family react to that?
4: You know, my family has always been supportive of of me no matter what I do. Uh, As long as my mother can get on the phone with me and sense that I'm all right, that I'm happy, she doesn't care what I do. And My father's the same way, Uh, even though they're not together. My father was always uh, more curious than anything else about what I was up to now. and, uh, you know, it was great. And my sister was in New York at the time and, and, uh, and my brother was still at school and then he came and, and joined me in New York a little bit. And it was just a great time uh, that I had in my 20s um, exploring uh, and finding out about myself, you know, yeah. and, and because, you know, when you're 22, 23, you have no clue. Right. You have no clue about anything. You know, I couldn't even tie my shoes when I was 23. (laughs) So I certainly had no clue about anything. So I was ready to get out there and really uh, experience life.
1: So you get there, you're doing the big campaigns, Abercrombie & Fitch, Versace, Gap, Perry Ellis, Ellis, Ralph Lauren. I mean, how did it feel to be? Did you really understand at the time that you're a black male getting these big campaigns when it basically was almost unheard of outside Mm -hmm. of Tyson Beckford?
4: Yeah, no, I had no idea. Um, I knew. I mean, obviously, I worked with Tyson, uh, and at the time, what was good for me uh, was that he he had an exclusive contract with Ralph Lauren, yeah. so he was like the polo guy, and he couldn't yeah. do anything else, which was great for me. Right? Out. You know. Uh, and it's funny because that it was pretty much one photographer who shot most of those big campaigns, which was Bruce Weber, and he took a liking to me and uh, and really supported me and, and booked me for all these campaigns. And uh, I'm really thankful to him because he really sort of uh, paved the way for me to, uh, to be really successful in a short period of time. Yeah. So I have to thank Tyson <laughs> 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 because he was locked up in his deal. And, uh, and it, was, it was just phenomenal. It was really great. Um, you know, Paris and London and, and Milan and, you, and you, you shoot it in <laughs> the most beautiful islands. <laughs> Life was tough. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah. It, was, it was really hard. <laughs> uh, but somebody had to do it, and uh, I, I definitely jumped, jumped to the occasion. Was there
1: any friendly competition between you and Tyson? Um, well,
3: he was winning. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, we were true. both. Yeah. We, were both uh, we
4: were both winning. It, it, I mean, I, I love the guy. He's, I've known him for so long now, and there was never any. See, men are a little bit different, yeah. uh, especially male models. There were like maybe five or six guys that were doing really well yeah. um, worldwide. Uh, there was Marco Schenkenberg, and a Swedish guy, and, and um, um, Alex Lundquist, another Swede. Um, there was Tyson, there was myself, and um, uh, Mark um, Vandaloo. Uh, so there was a couple of guys who did, did really well, and there was never any hating. Yeah. There was never any jealousy <laughs> or envy or... You know, we were always we we'd hang out together and and it was very different from the girls. You guys were um, in the cool club. <laughs> yeah, the cool. <laughs> at the end. Of the hey, day. we we <laughs> we knew, let's put it this way, we knew how lucky we were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we didn't take it for granted. And so we really enjoyed ourselves every okay. single day.
3: Who's one of your favorite designers that you worked for?
4: Uh, back then, I I liked um um There was a designer called Francisco uh Rodriguez, he was really good I loved uh, him, I loved I loved Armani, I thought Armani was great, I always walked in the show um, Armani, Hugo Boss was one, of, was one of the designers I liked um, Helmut Lang um, you know, uh, Hilfiger Tommy Hilfiger was one who was always very generous yeah. to me mm-hmm. and uh, I always worked uh, with him um, there's so many
3: I'm, you know, you I was
4: inspired by everything
3: did you have, like, a... a I mean, you, coming from Europe to America, obviously style is totally different. How did you kind of find your own lane as far as the style that you wanted to give off?
4: I really didn't pay any mind to that You back just let then. them dress you. Yeah, I, I mean, I was... I'd never bought clothes, Yeah, you know. i i spend more money on other things, on travel most of the time. But, um, yeah, I wasn't really concerned with that at all. Uh, image and stuff didn't mean anything to me. I... Uh, <laughs> I just, I just really lived and, and had a great time, and uh, I let others worry about that. You, you mentioned just. Oh.
2: Oh. <laughs> oh, easy and three. We, can't we wait. Can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. can wait. Go ahead, Courtney. I was just gonna say, you said you know traveling. And it's your time in your twenties. You're sort of discovering yourself. What about the modeling and the traveling and everything? What's the biggest sort of lesson or thing that you took with you from that phase of your life to move into the next phase of your life?
4: I think just appreciating people and uh, appreciating diversity. And uh, not judging, um, I learned that because I was somebody quick, uh, always quick to say, "Oh, he's like this, she's like this. Uh, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's not that easy.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And uh, so it turned me into a very sort of open-minded sort of uh, um, person. Um, so that I think that was one of the major things that I learned, uh, just to appreciate uh, people in, in all their diversity worldwide. Um, and, uh, and I think it applies to, to America especially because a lot of people here are quick to, uh, you know, denounce other cultures and, and, and you know, habits, religions, uh, beliefs um, because we're so used to being um, just being here and, and being involved with ourselves more mm-hmm. than anything else. And uh, so, I, so that's, that's one thing that I definitely learned. I appreciated other people.
1: And how did you stay humble? I mean, you got everybody telling you that you're the best-looking man, basically, in the world. You know, how do you... How do you be, well, it was, so... Uh, <laughs> you know, it, well, so it's always easy for you. But, no, how do you stay humble with all that? I mean, it would go to most people's heads. So how no, you
4: know, I, I I don't know. I think it's it's my upbringing. I think, um, first of all, when I grew up playing tennis and stuff, being a model was never an, a topic. It was never... It wasn't even in my... I didn't even know what that was. Like, it was never something that... Kids kids never talk about, oh, I want to be a model. Right. Nobody <laughs> ever talked about that, so it wasn't really on my radar at yeah. all. So when I got a chance to do it, I really approached it as a, a job, you know. Yeah. I wanted to be good at it. I was always on time. I was always professional. I was prepared because I wanted to take advantage of these opportunities. So I never had time to, like, go, hey. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, was, it never really – it was never an issue. So mm-hmm. and, and still to this day um, – i I'm really appreciative of 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 my opportunities I'm really appreciative of my life what right. I have, and what I've experienced so far and and I don't have time to to sit back and sort of gloat or 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 be like or or you know brush my shoulder off or something, whatever you want to call that <laughs> yeah it's just it seems just dumb to me um
1: and now what? I know things were so great. I'm sorry, Leah. No, no, no. Things were
4: so great. But how did you? You keep interrupting
1: us. She's I keep, been trying I know. A, yeah, yeah. I have I know. the same question. I have the same question.
6: Okay. okay.
1: How did you? Um, w- were there any horror stories? You know, I know things were great, but you said shows you were in. So were there any malfunctions? Like, we see a lot of models who fall on the runway, have a little, you know, situation <laughs> with their clothing items. Is there a horror story that you can remember that you were like, I never want this to happen
4: again? Um, no, nothing that I can remember. There's. There's more horror stories on the, on the, on the, uh, female exploration, the sort of, uh, experiences that I had internationally. Like what? Uh, yeah, yeah, tell. You to tell, tell us. Give us a little bit. <laughs> you know, women are very aggressive, you know, oh, they go right. after what they want, and, uh, just a couple of things that that <laughs> might happen every once in a while that <laughs> does remind you to be careful, you yeah. know. And uh, so I've I've had my share of those moments where I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that again um, with with uh, the opposite sex. But you live and learn. Yeah, you, you know, going to a hotel room and there's somebody already in there minus clothes, <laughs> and you go, I'm sorry, I, I I'm sorry, my key worked. I don't know why. <laughs> no, no, this is your room, so. Things like that.
5: Oh. Uh, wow.
4: <laughs>
3: nah. Well, speaking of women in moments, you were in the Red Light Special music video with TLC. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? I mean, you, you said your father gave you the Michael Jackson CD. So, you I mean, you weren't really accustomed to the music out here to meet T-Boz, Left Eye Chili, and B.
4: Well, but you got to remember, by then, I was already here for... What two years, mm-hmm. so I know who so they are you were like um
3: where you kind of like yeah i mean that's that 's the, the music
4: yeah that 's the music I listened to so uh to I was just hanging out in New York, and it was just all uh, uh, by coincidence, you know well i don 't believe in coincidence, but it was it right. was it just happened mm-hmm. you know it was like some something divine, I guess, and uh, I happened to be on a set and do the video and with uh, it was Matthew Ralston, actually a great fashion photographer shot the video, uh, he did a whole bunch of really good videos back then and um, Billy Woodruff was the A&R um, oh, wow, yeah, Billy. wow, Billy Billy, wow. yeah, uh, so I've known Billy since then and the girls were great, they're really charming and sweet and nice and, and
3: I'd never done anything like that before so Everyone has their favorite, favorite TLC member who's, <laughs> Who is who's,
4: who's Oh, Chili uh, th- Chili is my girl yep. I mean, Yeah, we've, yeah. We've, that was mine too.
5: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my too Yeah,
4: no, she's a sweetheart and we're still friends to this day and she's she's just a really, really sweet girl. Um so that would be that. But um it was a great experience. And uh, you know, this is probably the most compromising sort of footage that you will ever find on me. So <laughs> that's not a bad that's not a bad we're
1: male prostitute dancer, dancer in the video. It was like right, something. Weird. To girl, he called me a prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> <He> <laughs> that was really no, no, no. That First of all, was a, I was playing I was a character.
4: It was a
6: character. <laughs> it was <laughs> a character. <laughs> no, it was a character.
4: It, it was, was a, a character <laughs> with a <laughs> feather bow around his neck. It was, that's
1: neck. What I'm it was like a character. That's, that's what it was.
4: That's, that's pretty what I much all he was wearing. So, Max,
6: you said you didn't believe in in coincidence. So, would you believe in divine providence?
4: Absolutely. I think. I think. And I think that you have a part in that. I think that you're your um your attitude and, and and your uh disposition in life will um dictate uh what you manifest.
6: I actually have a very similar story to you in that I was raised in an all white family in an all white city. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering what your mindset was as a child to get through that. And then the moment that you realized that, you know, I also was a very good Athlete, and at that moment when you realize that you're gonna leave that alone and you're gonna start your new career, mm-hmm. what was that moment when you're like, okay, this isn't just modeling, this is my new career, I'm gonna go from this to acting, and what did that feel like mm-hmm. when you realized this is my new job? I guess this is where I'm this is my career.
4: You know, um, it's interesting because uh, tennis has uh, sort of informed everything I've done since then. Uh, just because of my disposition, my 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 uh, professionalism, my approach to things, my my preparation, I'm always ready. I'm always prepared, and that's helped me along the way. You know, with everything I do, and same with modeling. When I when I came into the modeling game, I I tried to educate myself about what was going on. I talked to the agents, and I talked to the photographers, I talked to the stylists, and so I, I sort of formed an opinion about how I thought this was this was working mm-hmm. and then I I, uh, I, I I I participated in it you know I, I I always was very professional and I made sure that that I have a path I have a goal wherever I was and whatever I was doing uh, and modeling was no difference acting is no difference to me mm-hmm. um, or the businesses that that I that I own um, I always approach everything. Uh, with a sense of purpose and a sense of discipline and a three-dimensional view. And, and I always try to surround myself with people that are way smarter than me. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> if, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I have to leave the room. Like, <laughs> I, I always want to be the dumbest guy in the in the place uh, so I can learn from other people. When I'm mm. on the set, I talk to the director, I talk to the DP, I talk to the gaffers. I want to make sure that I understand everything that every, everybody does.
6: So you had, did? You have that moment though that you're like, okay, this is my new career. Oh, I guess right I'm away. Not doing the tennis. No, so.
4: absolutely, right away. And, and it oh, was, okay. and it's weird because my first job was literally sitting on an elephant with Naomi Campbell. And, wow. And oh. and well, lucky you. Yeah, yeah, we lucky you. <laughs> it was <laughs> very job. surreal. It was very surreal, but um, I understood that this was a job and mm-hmm. that there were there were quotes and that they that there were uh, rules and that there were agencies and and people who made decisions and I wanted to be a part of that and I wanted to be really good at it.
3: Well, your first uh, movie was Love and Basketball. So, I know you've also said in the past that, well, that you have to translate from German to English. Mm -hmm. So, as a a model, you sit there and you know, you have, it's, there's no lines involved. What Mm -hmm. was that like, like, it was studying lines, moving from act from a modeling career to an acting career.
4: It's it, people always say it's a transition, but it's not. It's it's like moving from being a plumber to being an actor. It's it's two completely different things. When you <laughs> model, you, you 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 don't do anything. You know, you 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 basically fake a moment. You know, and, and some models are better than others at it. You know, you have to know, you know, what you look like and what your angles are and and. And some models that are really successful know that really well. Mm-hmm. You know, they know what the lighting is and, and how to, you know, how to do it. And acting is completely different. Yeah. And I knew that from the from the get-go. And I knew that I did not have a chance unless I was prepared. So I made a conscious effort to study, to go to class. To I went to Susan Batson uh, in New York. And I went to Janet Alhante here in L.A. And I studied really hard to to lose my accent, Mm -hmm. because at the time I still had an accent, a German accent, so I knew that you get one shot. And I knew that if I walked in that casting office and I read these lines with a German accent, that I would probably never be invited back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because when you're a German actor, uh, you can play certain parts really well, like the Nazi and the Russian and the bad guy. That's what people play. If you look at uh, Christoph Waltz, who won the Academy Award twice, uh, the roles that he plays are very specific mm-hmm. to to uh to where he 's from um you know salma Hayek plays an hispanic woman Whatever yeah, she does she yeah. plays a hispanic woman you know so um uh I would have had a hard time <laughs> coming here to Hollywood and a and playing a, a Nazi <laughs> or a Russian <laughs> or so that was my problem. So, so,
6: that's hilarious.
4: Well, you know, that was that was my issue. <clears throat> so I knew that I had to really, really work hard to try and and get my accent under control, uh, to be able to to have a shot. So when people say now they thought I was American, that's a compliment because yeah. it's a mm-hmm. it's a testament to to the hard work that I did, um, and that's what makes me mad when people always comment on, you know, superficial things like the way I look or something, because yeah. that has absolutely nothing to do with the success that I enjoy at all.
3: And I know in Resident Evil, uh, sorry, in Resident sure. Evil, uh, the director he would always say that you would, when you get tired, you start saying the lines in German. (laughs) I mean, so is that something that you were more conscious of when you first started out, like, I cannot be doing this?
4: Oh, no, it was hard, you know, it was really hard. When I first did Soul Food, um, when I met my wife, uh, she would read my lines to me, and I would mimic what it sounded like. Oh, wow. Because I was just not good at it yet, you know? So it was sort of like an apprenticeship for me, doing Soul Food. I learned so much from all the cast members and everybody else, because, um, I was still in my head so much because I was so conscious self conscious about the way I spoke that I had a hard time really relaxing and focusing on what I needed to do because I was so panicky about the way i you know the way I sounded um, yep. and she helped me a lot. She broke down scripts for me and she explained colloquialisms and sayings yeah. and and references to shows that I had no idea about because i didn't <coughs> i wasn 't raised here right. um, but it, it was a great experience.
1: Well, people clearly love that role because uh, you received, I think, three Image Award nominations for that role. And I th- didn't they specifically sort of create that character for the show for for you or with you in mind?
4: Yeah. Um, what happened was that the Damon character was supposed to be there, I think, for two episodes or three episodes yeah. and then disappear again. And they, they just they loved the chemistry between mm-hmm. me and Nicole. And, uh, and then they decided to, to keep me around a little bit.
1: What do you think people related to the role, why do you think people related to that role so much with you
4: i just think they knew that we were going to have two kids and be married (laughs) (laughs)
0: um i don't know
4: i think people relate to love they relate to um romance and um they relate to the ups and downs of relationships i think that's probably the strongest emotion that people feel uh um it's love yeah and that's what these two people had you know there was this instant attraction that they had and there was this Love that developed, and uh, and to follow them through their ups and downs, and their s- substance abuse, and and their and their therapy, and their and their craziness, and it's life, and that's yeah. what people relate to, and I think that's why um, the writing, the great writing, uh, really resonated. Mm-hmm.
1: And then a lot of people <laughs> thought that you and Nicole actually started dating on Soul Food, but that I saw something that that wasn't the case.
4: No, it wasn't. Um, she was in a relationship. I was in a relationship, and we took. Job really seriously, and uh, we didn't want to jeopardize that, even though I did feel not only an attraction to her, but I knew that there was, I knew that she was going to be in my life in whatever capacity. Um, and we became really good friends really fast. Um, also, it helps you in Toronto up there yeah. with the cast, and so you sort of gravitate towards each other. But um, um, yeah, we did not uh, date until I think late second season. Of soul food, so much much later, and um, it 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 was it was a very conscious decision because there was an attraction there, but uh, we didn't want to jeopardize the job, and we also, I I'm speak for myself, I knew how special she was, and I I didn't want to muck it up, Mm -hmm. and I had come from (laughs) uh, ten years of being thoroughly um, entrenched in. female research. <laughs> Which we're still trying to get some more stories out of you and, uh, and so, and, and those patterns were definitely there. Yeah. And I didn't want to bring that garbage um, to the table. Uh, I, I knew I wanted to be right. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I really was sort of, I, I was careful. What was it about her that was
1: different from yeah. all the rest?
4: You know, it's hard, to, it's hard to say. I mean, besides the fact that she's dropped dead gorgeous yes. and amazing and... <laughs> Lovely and beautiful and well spoken and world traveled and uh, it's it's something that you just can't explain. You know, she just she 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 put me at ease, mm-hmm. which is it's important something that a lot of people say when they meet the one. Um, you feel like you can just be and you don't have to put anything on. You don't have to put any effort. It's effortless. Um, I think that's that's definitely one thing. She she. She challenges me, which not a lot of women did. Um, She challenges me still every day, which is great because it makes (laughs) you grow. And um, and I really wanted to be there. Mm -hmm. And that's a big thing because if you... Spend the night together, and you still want to be there. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
4: that is a big deal. That's a big deal. <laughs> and and that's one thing that we both have that 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 we cherish. We want to be together. We don't need to be together. Yeah, we really don't need to be together. But is it um, tough
1: because you guys have worked on so many projects together to <coughs> separate it? I mean, you work together during the day. How do you go home? If
3: you, how do you balance any arguments well, or fights? You know, adding, adding on to that though, with that with all these relationships where a lot of celebrities they don't really take marriage not that they, I don't know if they take it seriously or not but I mean you guys how did you ma- with that how did you make it work yeah. how do you make it work continuously
4: you know it's it's uh marriage is work it's it's it means um it, it takes commitment it takes uh um communication trust uh and it takes effort you know like anything else that you want to be successful and you got to put effort into your marriage it's very important, and um, we're no different, you know, because you deal with trials and tribulations, you know. You have kids, and then you have a special needs child, and you have, you know, jobs, and then the business, and then the ups and downs of that, and, you know, there's, there's a lot. Um, I, think, I think you have to prioritize. I think, I think you have to put your partner first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to put your partner first. You have to put your kids first. Uh, you have to trust trust in God. You have to trust that everything else will fall into place, will be okay. And I think when you, when you prioritize and when you put your, your relationship, your family first, <coughs> um, that gives you the joy, the happiness, the strength, the, 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 the power you need to do everything else. Uh, and that's a very, very strong uh, backing to have mm-hmm. when you have somebody in your corner like that. Yeah. Uh, it's, very, it's a tremendous feeling. And she gives me that feeling, and I hope to give her that, too.
5: Mm.
2: Well, well please, please. Yes. You, I was just going to ask. If, um, so, you know, you did all your research um, yeah. for your ladies early on, and it <laughs> prepared you to be a better man for your wife. Very important. Um, so in all of that, uh, you obviously you have two beautiful children now. What is the one piece of advice you would give your daughter about love and relationship when she comes of age, and what's the one piece of advice you'd give your son?
5: Mm.
4: Um, I don't think that the, uh, the advice would, would differ much. Um, I think um, I would tell my daughter to first of all believe in love,
5: mm-hmm.
4: not be scared of love. Um, I think the only thing you can do with your children uh, to prepare them for love in all of its colors <coughs> with the heartbreaks and everything else is to give them uh, love yourself, to give them affection and give them plenty of confidence. Because if they have confidence uh, in who they are, um, they can overcome, they can get through um, anything. Um, so, so I can't really specify too much about love because I don't know what they will experience. But all I can do is prepare them for whatever might come and not make them scared. Because I think we live in a time where, uh, first of all, there's a lot of single-parent households. And that have to prioritize a lot of single parent households that don't have time to give their kids the attention that they might need because they have to feed them. Um, and I think what happens is that a lot of parents have to um, sort of pick out like three things that they want to convey. And, uh, and one of the things I think that, that is often conveyed to these kids, especially young girls, is um, watch out. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and that can be detrimental um, because you're raising a, a woman who's uh, on guard, who's scared, who is suspicious. Mm-hmm. And that's not a great um, uh, starting point when you're talking about a relationship. That if you well go into that. a relationship <laughs> and you right away you go, I wonder what he's mm-hmm. thinking. I wonder," uh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because trust, I think, is is, a, is a, one of the most important aspects of being in a relationship. And it's a lot of... Pro- a lot of people say, you got to earn my trust, but you can't. Uh, trust is a choice. Yeah. And you have to go into a relationship saying, I'll make the choice to trust you until you prove me otherwise. Uh, because if you don't trust, then there's really no relationship.
1: That's and true. if your kids wanted to get into the business,
4: would you be No. No? <laughs> no. No. They've had offers up the wazoo to do yeah. campaigns and stuff, and absolutely not. Because um, they're not equipped to handle that.
5: Yeah. You know,
4: because... Uh, pff, not even talking about rejection. I'm talking about just the pitfalls of being on a set each day. I mean, I was shooting a movie uh, called Baggage Claim with uh, Paula Patton. It's a romantic comedy. We were supposed to be a couple that has a child, and this child was seven years old. And she was on set, and she was so excited to be working with us. And <laughs> she was bouncing around, and she was just waiting for her turn, you know, with her mom. And and then they ran out of time. And they sent her home, and they changed the script. We didn't have a kid. Wow.
5: Oh. oh. And she was
4: crushed. Oh,
5: no. Mm. You know, so
4: the kids are not equipped <clears throat> to handle that business um, because it comes with so many things that, that uh, they can't even explain. Yeah. Uh, so I would never expose my kids to that. Um, absolutely never. Plus, they're being judged on on the green eyes and brown eyes and how tall and how big. No, yeah. absolutely not. And And I can't stand when parents... Um, force their kids into it. Um, now, if the kid comes to you and says, look, I want to play Annie, now.
5: <laughs> absolutely,
4: put on a stage if right. that's what she wants okay. to do. Absolutely. I'm not saying, you know, prevent them from doing it. I'm saying that I choose or we choose not to expose our kids to it until they're old enough to understand what this is about.
1: Yeah, you, you must have learned some great parenting skills from your, your parents and your mom. I know that I saw something in when you did the gospel that your mom was really impressed with your singing in the movie. And she said, wow, I, I can't believe, I think it's something like, I can't believe, how'd you pull that off? Hilarious. And and what was your experience like doing that movie? I know a lot of people don't know that you sing. Mm. In fact, could you give us a little bit of a little flavor <laughs> of your voice for well, us? Well, okay, you know?
4: first of all, let's, let's set the record straight. Let's be very clear that, that I lip sang in, <laughs> in the gospel. Suit. In the gospel movie, yeah. Um, because there's a difference between singing and singing gospel. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was one of the things that I learned on the gospel because I, again, I went into that movie knowing nothing about that culture. I'm yeah. from Germany, for God's sake. I had no idea about Southern Baptist churches. I had no idea about gospel music. I couldn't name one gospel artist. I was completely ignorant. So I, I went through, you know, learning about the culture and talking to Donnie McClurkin and and Yolanda Adams and they teaching me everything. And so uh, to be able to pull that off was, to me, was a major accomplishment because, again, this is a culture that is completely foreign to me. I have no idea how these people speak, how they interact, how they, I had no idea about any of that. So um, uh, it was a great experience. It was a great learning experience for me. Um, It was a great experience because my daughter was born during the shooting. Of that movie, so it was always, always going to be close to my heart. Um, but in terms of singing, yeah, I did not sing in that movie. I lip sang. You lip sang. Thing. Actually, the music was so late in the game that they uh, slipped a CD under my door the night before I had to film those scenes. So Very I didn't nice. get to practice at all. Wow. So I put the CD on while I was sleeping to let it get into my subconsciousness so in the morning that I I could I could pull that off but it was pretty tough it was a tight shooting schedule
1: but do you have a big music for love like if we went into your iPod right now what would be the top five songs playing
4: right now it's uh Emily Sande she's a British singer who's incredible Um, I got Alicia Keys I got uh, Frank Ocean I got Jay-Z I got um, a bunch of German hip hop that you probably don't know. I got. Um,
6: Tell us though. I want to yeah, maybe, maybe we want to go look. Who. Maybe right, we want exactly. to go check it out later. Plug them.
4: Uh, okay, Freundeskreis is one. They're really good. Then um, um, uh, Xavier Naidoo. is amazing. He's a German R&B artist. He's incredible. Um, who else is in there right now? Mm, Jill Scott. Jill. She's Jill always Scott. I mean, there's sort of like a stable of singers that are always in your iPad, no matter what year it is. You know, yeah. Jill Scott is one of those. Sade. Yeah. Bob Marley. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, I'm definitely a big fan of uh, uh, Frank Ocean and, and um, Alicia Keys and those those peeps. those peeps. Those peeps. Yeah.
1: So now you did this uh, small play called, um, you know, Cat on the Hot Tin Roof. Hmm, yeah. And um, you replaced Mr. Terrence Howard in the, the production. You got a mm-hmm. call from Debbie Allen. And I've heard that once you did that role, you actually felt like uh, you were validated as an actor. Absolutely. What was it about that that made you feel validated?
4: Well, because when you do stage and when you do stage on Broadway, um, it means that uh, you have experienced the truth of acting. Because doing a movie and doing a TV show are completely different. Uh, you can you can do a take and then do another if you don't like what you did. On stage, you have to be present at all times. You have to be. Uh, you have to. You have to create a connection with the audience. Um, you are uh, s- feeling their energy. Um, it's almost like a spiritual connection that you that you have mm-hmm. in that moment. And for me to be able to be on that stage with Felicia Rashad and James Earl Jones yeah. just is like like I could have never even dreamed uh, dreamed that that would even be possible. And and it was funny because the night of the premiere. Um, my brother came, and we were in my dressing room, and we literally started hollering, <laughs> just laughing, rolling on the floor, crying because it's so absurd. Uh, from you know, going from where we grew up and how we grew up, not speaking English and not knowing anything about this culture, to to me playing one of the most, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, just historic uh, figures on on American stage. Uh, by the playwright is just yeah. was just too bizarre, um, so I hold this very dear to my heart, and I I I, I won some some great friends um, and James and Felicia and Debbie and I love them dearly, and I love Debbie for giving me that opportunity. And
1: was she a, a and, and, tough um, director?
4: Yeah, yeah, she's supposed to be tough. <laughs> yeah, she was very tough. James was tough. I'm sure. James was very because there's nobody who knows Tennessee Williams better than James L. Jones. He he's more than a student of 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 Tennessee Williams. He's uh he embodies uh, that writing, and so to get his approval uh, was was more important to me than any review or anything else anybody else said. Yeah,
1: and yeah. then you go from there to kind of the Resident Evil
4: <laughs> genre. Yeah, same
1: thing. Same thing. So you go from this nice play to these these great action films, which grossed over 200 million. Yeah. Worldwide, what was it like training for that? And I, were you ever fearful because you had a back injury of re-hurting yourself mm. during that process?
4: Yeah, it was. Um, we trained a lot. We trained a couple of weeks for that. Um, but it was fun. You know, the, the, the Wrestling was one of those franchises that I just, when you're invited to be a part of it, it's just all fun. Yeah. It's just like being a kid in a candy store. You know, fighting and shooting zombies. And, <laughs> I mean, come on. It's just like, and with Mila Jovovich, I mean, come on. Yeah. In this
6: real life, like, you think you could take him down?
4: Zombies? Yeah, zombies. I would straight run to her house. She,
6: <laughs>
4: she knows how to deal with them. No, that was just a great time, and, and it is a great time to be uh, to be playing uh, with them. Um, it was great.
1: And now you're on this uh, show, this kind of the number one show on BET, Real House Husbands of Hollywood. How did you get to this show? How did you get selected for the Well, cast? Chris
4: Spencer is, a, is one of my best friends, and he wrote the skit for the BET Awards, and then I had the idea of, putting it turning it into, into a show and him and Kevin Hart, they reached out and asked if I would be interested in joining them. And it was a, it was a great opportunity for me to just be an idiot, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just be uh, stupid and, and, and show that I have some comedic timing in me yeah. that, uh, Hollywood probably uh, would have never sort of, um, um, th- I would have never gotten the opportunity to do what yeah. I'm doing on that show. Um, so it, it's a great time to be with your friends, hang out, laugh your butt off all day, and act stupid.
1: It and seems like they poke a lot of fun at you. Would, do you. Were you a part of that writing in the script for that, or was it something oh, absolutely. that you guys just improv it? And
4: oh, we, we do improv a lot, but but look, uh, this is all about making fun of, of myself, making fun of each other, and yeah. making fun of reality TV. That was one statement that I thought was very important, that we, we put the whole reality TV genre sort of in perspective uh, because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> and um, so we wanted to we wanted to sort of make almost make like a social uh, uh, um, commentary on on reality TV and yeah. and what it really is and what it does to <laughs> to society as a whole and how people are influenced by it. So. um so that was a big part of why I wanted to do it because it just it just it, it makes a statement.
3: Yeah, what's oh, You're ahead, friends Jeff. with Cynthia Bailey? So did, I mean, going into it, did you watch like Real Housewives of Atlanta? I know you compared yourself to Kim Kardashian, <coughs> Jessica Simpson, and Cynthia Bailey. Wow. Um, where did you? Where, where, did you have to go <laughs> that? I don't know when I did that. The, uh, I don't remember saying what that. influence I was.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
4: wow. Um, you, you know, no Cynthia's a great friend of ours, and. Um, uh, actually i was I was one of the people who told him not to do the show really cool yeah absolutely. Why, what was your reason no you because I think that uh, it's very exploitative you know and uh and um uh especially when people expose their kids to it yeah um and I'm not a fan of it. I just don't think that I think there's certain things that remain to be that should remain uh, private you know and and intimate and so sort of we've given all that up you know. Yeah. And especially when you're a whatever, celebrity whatever, uh, you already live a very public life. So there are certain things that I think should remain um, sacred. Um, and also there are certain values and principles that are just compromised on a daily basis when you watch these shows. Uh, like I don't want my kids to even know that these shows are on <laughs> the air. Yeah. You know, and, like, and that's why we don't allow them to watch TV. Um, they don't know anything about any of that. So I'm really? So I'm no, no. You don't allow them to watch it. TV at all? Well, they they can show, they can watch Disney movies, okay, um, stuff like that. But other than that, no. So, so they so won't be
1: watching or rift the rum, right?
4: No, <laughs> they don't even know what really what we do. Yeah. I mean, they they slowly get an idea because their classmates start talking about like Resident Evil and your daddy shot the zombie and <laughs> Nicholas came home like. Petrified. Like, like hey, <laughs> yeah, I was like, he was no, he doesn't know, he doesn't know. It's not. Don't worry. So um, yeah, we we try to keep them as innocent as possible for for as long as we
3: can.
5: Yeah, yeah.
2: it's beautiful. Well, you, oh, go ahead, Courtney. You no, on. I was just saying that's beautiful. Did yeah. you?
3: But did did you watch the show to kind of like be able to poke even more fun at yourself? I mean, you said you gave that advice to Cynthia. Uh, I'm assuming you didn't give that advice to Kenya. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but did you, did you watch the... I mean, was Cynthia, did you call Cynthia and be like, what would be a good storyline for me? Not at
4: all. No, no, no. Not at all. She knows what she's doing. Okay. I think she's doing a great job.
3: No, you no. Know. As far as you getting advice from her,
4: oh, hell no. This is totally different. No, this is not. This is I play a hyper-real version of myself. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? I, I, I push the envelope as far as I can because it's fun. Yeah. You know, and I get to be an idiot on <laughs> TV, and uh, so that's it, it's a lot of fun. And I don't take this seriously. Um, you know, I think you get in trouble when you do. Yeah. So I, I look at it as a, as a great way for me to have fun, to show people that I can poke fun at myself, and. Uh, and, um, yeah, and it gives me a great opportunity to also promote what I'm doing, you know. There's a lot of things that I'm doing with the world of Alpha, and, and they've given me a platform to, to, uh, to expose those things and to, to promote them.
6: Well, and, uh, let's expose this. Alpha, affordable luxury for all, mm-hmm. your clothing line that you are wearing right now, Absolutely, I understand. Yes. I like <laughs> the vest. How hands-on you. are yeah. you in the picking of, of the fabric and the design and the sketches? Well,
4: see, that's the thing. Um, well, my brother... Patrick and I developed a, the concept and the, the company, and uh, we're very proud of it because we wanted to make, our mission was to make the luxury of custom clothing affordable for everybody um, because a custom suit, um, which this vest is a part of, like a three-piece suit like this, costs $2,500, $3,000 if it's custom and handmade. And a jeans like, designer jeans like this, the, the, this is a custom designer jeans, handmade, it costs $500. Uh, and the shirt like this costs two hundred dollars, and nobody can afford that. Mm-hmm. So we figured out a way how to make it affordable. These jeans are eighty bucks. The shirt is forty, and the vest is I don't know thirty bucks. You know, but and it's, it's custom handmade. Really and easy made. to use your website. Yeah, and you go on a website and you pick your own fabrics and you design, you construct your own suit, shirt, uh, jeans, whatever you want. And you, there's a measuring page. And you're
6: employing people.
4: Absolutely. There's a measuring page. You put your measurements in. If you don't know your measurements, there's a little video that teaches you how to measure yourself, and then you order your stuff, and 25 days later it comes. And the way we we, uh, distribute the the, the stuff is non-traditional, so we don't use retail at all. It's all online, and we employ a a very innovative new way uh, through consultants. So we give people, everybody out there, a chance to be their own. Um, entrepreneur, so they sign up with us they pay us sixty dollars they get their their starter kit with the measuring taste with the fabric samples with the with the uh, promotional material, and then they start their business they have their own website with their picture on it um, and they market to their families their friends their coworkers they sell our stuff on commission and our philosophy is um, that we we split everything fifty fifty so if mm. you come work with us mm. it 's a partnership it 's a fifty fifty partnership we make as much as you. When you sell our stuff, <coughs> we're boosting the economy. We're giving people yeah, jobs. We're letting great. people have uh, financial freedom and and supplement their income, pay for their college loans, whatever they want to do. And we have people uh, opening uh, Alpha kiosks in malls. We have somebody in Alabama who put a Alpha store, an uh, Alpha corner in their in their in their car wash. We have wow, really very innovative. Absolutely, we have thousands of consultants now who've joined Alpha. Uh, in a partnership, uh, and we're very proud of it.
6: You said that there's a size chart. Um, <laughs> are you limited at all in the sizes that you can go up to, or it's all is custom? Is it <clears throat> so it doesn't matter. It be 3XL and you can still get your jacket.
4: Shaquille O'Neal,
6: wears our stuff?
4: <laughs> Chuck Barkley, you know Rick Fox. Uh, we mm-hmm. all the, the turn of Broadcasting um, um, anchors on TV wear our stuff. So it's custom, and that's what I want people to understand. It is it is made for you. So you pick everything. You design it yourself. It pops up. It's a 3D designer, so you can see it come together. And then on the measuring page, each measurement has a little video that teaches you exactly how to measure yourself. So it's everything is is crafted according to your specifications and your sizes. You go straight from the website to the laser cutters in Thailand, and then we hand stitches together, and then you get it sent to you within 25
3: days. Amazing. It's very easy,
4: yeah. and it's all very affordable.
3: How did you come? I mean, I, I, uh, it's amazing because. Basically, the whole thought of it comes from let's help people mm-hmm. let's help the economy let's help people who just want to get in the business an easier way of getting dressed I mean where did that come from you and your brother sitting down like how did that whole spark like let's hire people let's mm-hmm. get the world involved in this like
4: see um I believe in in doing well by doing good yeah. I think that um that there's too many of us I'm talking about celebrities now there's too many of celebrities who are who are way too busy popping bottles mm. and uh and they're not aware of of uh, that the perks come with the responsibility and I think that when you have a platform you have to use it for something good and uh And my brother is of the same conviction and um, so we wanted to create a business that not only helps ourselves but also helps as many other people as possible mm. and that's why People like T. Jakes are talking to us. That's why people like the the, the, the Chamber of Commerce is talking to us. That's why Jeez. these organizations and 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 fraternities are reaching out to us to do partnerships because they have now found a way not only to dress their people in a nice, affordable way, but also to generate income from their organ for their organization, for their uh, uh, for their church, for for their institutions, and uh, so. To help as many people as possible, not only dress nice for affordable prices, but also supplement their income and make a living, be financially independent is the greatest thing you could possibly do.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we went to the BT celebration as we were mentioning to you earlier. <clears throat> I think there was a couple of people who probably should go to your site and check. It out. <laughs> <laughs> That's what uh, I. Actually
5: think.
4: well, worldofalpha.com. <laughs> My guest
5: walking World around of
1: Hollywood. Of there's <laughs> a
3: couple <of> people. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Now tell
1: us about your Sof- Sophie's Voice Foundation.
4: Uh, It's a foundation that that Nicole and I founded uh, four years ago in honor of Sophie. Um, She was born with spina bifida, which is a a birth defect that uh, affects about eight babies a day Mm -hmm. here in the United States alone. And um, it is um, preventable, Mm -hmm. which is a huge deal. It's preventable by 75%. So uh, we have really put our efforts into raising awareness to let women know uh, how to protect themselves. And they can protect themselves by taking folic acid, which is a vitamin B that's easily attainable anywhere. And um, you have to take four MCGs a day, which is more than the most uh, prenatal vitamins, so you have to watch out. Uh, you should be on it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's a vitamin that helps you, your hair grows, your nails grow, it protects you, it doesn't hurt you at all. But um, it's a big deal because out of those eight babies, five didn't have to have it mm-hmm. every hey. single day. Um, And it is, uh, actually the government uh, released a statement saying that uh, it is one of those birth defects that can be eradicated worldwide, so that's our goal. We founded the uh, Center for Spina Bifida Research uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, in partnership with uh, the Rollins School of Health at Emory, which we're very proud of because they do great work, uh, research and so forth. And our goal is to reach out to um, different um, medical institutions worldwide. Uh, to figure out a way how to eradicate spina bifida. Um, so we're raising money for that. And that's how the, the, the idea of Alpha came about, because mm-hmm. we try to figure out a way how to create a revenue stream for our foundation. Mm-hmm. And what better way to do that than with a business?
1: And if your fans want to get involved or donate money, how do they so do that?
4: Voice okay. Your
1: yes.
3: next movie role needs to be Superman. <laughs> Superman, that's a
4: great <laughs> idea. Well, let me write that down. <laughs> Superman. <laughs> next. We're, we're going to contact them. <laughs> uh,
3: but no, I mean, let us know what what other upcoming projects do you have? I know you work with uh, an organization called ERASE.
4: That was uh no, I don't. That mm-hmm. was a, a long time ago that they contacted me and um I think they don't even exist anymore. No, it was just a way for me to to uh to express the importance of diversity. Uh, which still is. Which is what uh, you stand for. Which is what I stand for, absolutely. Yeah. What
1: do you think is one word that defines you? Wow.
4: <laughs> you know what I think um when people ask me who I am, I always say I'm you know my name and then I say I'm a I'm a husband and father. That's what um that's what defines who I am. Now if you were saying if you want a word for that, um I don't know integrity integrity mm-hmm. I think that's that's one thing um yeah integrity and
3: as far as like being here, what do you want your legacy to be
4: my kids yeah. okay. I think that's the only that's the only important legacy you can have as mm-hmm. a person um, I can affect change by using my platform uh, consciously and I try to do that but when I'm gone uh, uh, my kids will remain and uh so I think that's Probably the most important legacy anybody could could have.
1: And for all your fans out there, how can they find you on Twitter, on Instagram, on Twitter? Bo-
4: it's all Boris Kojo. Twitter slash Boris Kojo. Instagram is, I think, the Boris Kojo. Because I, I, first, was Boris Kojo, but then I forgot my password, so I can't get in anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's the Boris Kojo. And then uh, I'm on Facebook um, as well. And then you know, WorldOfAlpha.com, you can find me. Uh, every day, and we're, we're <laughs> work with him. Yeah, work. Yeah, come yeah, work come with us. come yeah. get a job. Come get to join us. Join job, us with yeah. World of Alpha and get and get make a, a living. Come get a job in a fly suit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right.
1: Where can your fans find you?
6: Oh, at Aaliyah Cruz with a K. <laughs> I'm Cordy. at Stuart Starlet.
1: At DJ Jesse J. At Daryl Christen, D E R R I A L C H R S T O N Boris, it's been an absolute pleasure I have no having idea what you that been. meant just now. <laughs> <it was> like, <laughs> I'm like, hold up, what, 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 what? <laughs> like what? Right. It comes on at the bottom of the screen. <laughs> they can see it there. Now it's been a great pleasure having you. Thank you for having me. We look forward to seeing more of your projects. Appreciate it. And uh, checking out more of that Alpha line. That's right. All right, thanks, guys. Thank You're watching you. Black Hollywood Portraits. See you next week.
0: From producers Maria Manunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Gary O'Kristian, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network. If you have questions or comments, tweet us at VHL online or email us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. For more exclusive content, visit blackhollywoodlive.com. This has been a presentation of the Black Hollywood Live Network. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.